Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. I have in my time that it is 7 p.m., well, 7 p.m., that's right, which means we are running a little bit late, and I have some content to get through, so there is a good chance we might go over tonight. Just want to forewarn you, and if you do have to leave at 7.30, um, that's totally fine. You can leave. I won't be offended because we are running a little bit behind. Well, a few weeks ago when we started our series on Jonah, I read a passage from the book of Hosea. And I want to start tonight by reading from that passage one more time to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about this evening. But it is from Hosea 7, verses 11 to 13. Hosea 7, verses 11 to 13. Hosea comes after Daniel. It's before Joel. Hosea 7, 11 to 13. It'll also be up on the screen, and it reads as such. It says, So Ephraim, and that is speaking of the northern kingdom of Israel, has become like a silly dove, or in the Hebrew, Jonah. It's become like a silly Jonah. I read a, pe- uh, nope, sorry, like a silly Jonah, silly dove, without sense. They call to Egypt, implying for help. They go to Assyria, implying for safety. When they go, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like the birds of the sky. I will chastise them in accordance with the proclamation to their assembly. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. Well, as we have followed Jonah's story up to this point, through the senselessness of Jonah, and we have seen some of that in these past few weeks, God has been bringing him down like the birds of the sky. He begins in the hill country of northern Israel, and then he goes down to the coastal plain, to the port city of Joppa, which is down in elevation from his hometown in the hill country of northern Israel. And then it says in chapter 1 that he goes down into the ship, And last week we left off with Jonah being thrown over the ship down into the sea. And tonight we are going to read about Jonah going further down into the belly of a large fish. And this downward movement has been noted by scholars and it is valid that the Lord is the one bringing him down through his senselessness and rebellion. Now we're going to pick up in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, because this is the start of the next chapter in the Hebrew Bible. So in the Hebrew Bible, it's chapter 2, verse 1, but in our English Bibles, it's chapter 1, verse 17, and so this is where we're going to start tonight and pick back up. And so beginning in verse 17 of chapter 1, it says this, "...and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days." And three nights. Now, often, just to point out here, people assume that, and it's often taught, that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Right? That's what most people are familiar with. And, and that may be possible, but as we read here, it simply describes the sea creature as a great fish. And in the Hebrew language, there 
There isn't a lot of different words for the different species of fish. So this could include anything from a, a shark to two certain species of whales. We don't know the exact species of the animal that swallowed Jonah. It could have been a whale, kind of like a sperm whale, which has been suggested by, by many, uh, or again, just a large fish, a large fish. Uh, the whale shark is technically a fish. It's not a whale, but it's called a whale shark. And there's some others as well. I think I saw something like, some like grouper or something that was like the size of a school bus, or I read something about that. I mean, there's some big fish in the ocean. And so we don't know the exact species, but what is important as we read here is that this large fish was appointed by the Lord. This fish was assigned the task by the Lord to go and swallow Jonah. This was not just a random occurrence or just some random animal that instinctually is thinking, oh, food, you know, over the ship. All right, my time. No, this fish was appointed by the Lord. And this shows and demonstrates that God has power over every part of this world, not only the oceans and the seas, which he can cause to raise in a storm and then still in, the, in a moment, but he also has control over the animals within them. And he does appoint this great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, before we move to the next verse, it is important to mention and talk about the fact that in this part of the story of Jonah, for those who do not believe in the Bible, or at least do not take the Bible literally, they believe that this story of Jonah in the belly of this great fish is fantasy, that it's legend, that it's, it's made up. They believe this. And so there's a question that often confronts those who are serious students and believers in the Bible. Is this a literal history of Jonah being literally swallowed by a large fish, where he then stayed in the belly for three days and three nights? This is a question that often comes up. And just to show you that this is, in fact, literal, and I want to show you from the words of Jesus himself, I want to read a passage from Matthew 12, verse 40. It'll be up on the screen. But Matthew 12, verse 40, and we're going to come back to this verse as well. So, but I want to show you what Jesus says. So he says here in verse 40 of Matthew 12, and he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees who are arguing against him and accusing him of, of wrongdoing, he says to them, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, what we can say from this verse is that if Jesus was literally in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, then according to Jesus, Jonah was literally in the belly of this great fish, for three days and three nights. Now, some might say, well, that's impossible. A person cannot survive for three days and three nights in the belly of any fish. And if you think about it, there's going to be a lot of stomach acid, lack of oxygen. According to natural forces, no, no one could survive for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. But honestly, that is the point. That is the point. This is a miracle orchestrated and ordained and determined by God. And if you think about it, we just went through the series on Daniel, and we encountered Daniel's three friends that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And I don't expect you to remember this detail, but I had, I had taught that that furnace was likely heated to a temperature of about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 
That's how hot it would have been a smelting furnace for metals. And if you think about it, if God can preserve Daniel's three friends for in a 2,000 degree furnace, can he not preserve Jonah for three days and three nights in the belly of the will? Which is more difficult? Right? I mean, it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. God is the one who is doing it, who is making it happen. But it did literally happen just as the word says. So with that being established and stated, let's now turn back to Jonah and actually begin reading about his experience in the belly of this great fish, specifically this prayer that he is about to give. But let's start now in Jonah 2 verse 1 in your English Bible, Jonah 2 verse 1. And it says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Now I want to pause here for a moment and talk about this. I don't necessarily expect you all to remember this, but at least once or twice in my time here in the youth group, I've talked about Sheol or the underworld. And that is what is being referenced when he says the depth of Sheol. It is the underworld where the departed spirits of the dead are housed, also some of the fallen angels. And this was certainly true in the time of the Old Testament before Jesus Christ. And, and that is what he's referencing. Now, I've also taught in times past that in the Bible, the ocean or the sea can serve as a symbol for the underworld. It can serve as a symbol for the underworld. This is seen very clearly in the book of Revelation in several spots. We won't go there. But well, even here in Jonah 2, we see this, this parallel that's being established, that here Jonah is now in the ocean, in this belly of the fish, and yet he's referencing the depths of Sheol, or the underworld as it refers to. Now, one thing to take note of at this point is although the ocean can symbolize the underworld in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, it is still not literally the underworld. So Jonah being in the belly of the fish, being in the sea, he's not actually in the place of Sheol. And yet he mentions it. He mentions it. So then the question arises, is Jonah simply speaking metaphorically or figuratively is, or is there something more that is going on here? I'm not going to answer that yet, but it's something that I want, I want you to keep in mind, this question. Is he speaking metaphorically, or is there something more going on? And by the end of tonight's message, I hope to answer that question. But let's continue in verse 3. Verse 3 of Jonah 2. He continues his prayer, and he says this, "'For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas.'" And the current engulfed me, all your breakers and billows passed over me, or the waves. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought my life brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Now, here in verse 6, we see further references to the underworld, the roots 
of the mountains, also the earth with its bars. These are further references to Sheol, the place of departed spirits, the, the underworld. And, and even, uh, well, for example, the, uh, the bars, the bars are in that, that Hebrew term can be a reference to gates in the Old Testament. So they would use that term to refer to like city gates that were in the city wall. And so this term bars can refer to gates. And you might recall that in the New Testament, there is actually a reference to the gates of Sheol or the gates of Hades as Jesus mentions, and that's in Matthew 16. We won't turn there right now, but, but he mentions the gates of Hades, the gates of Sheol. There's other places, at least one place in Isaiah, I believe, where it mentions the gates of Sheol as well. So when he says that the earth with its bars, this is a further reference to the underworld. Also, we saw reference to the pit in the end of verse 6, and that is a reference to the grave. The grave. Now again, it's important to keep in mind that Jonah is not literally in the underworld or in the grave. So the same question arises. Is he speaking metaphorically and figuratively, or is there something more that's going on? Well, let's continue in verse 7, and I'll read to the end of this chapter. Like I said, Jonah is a much shorter book than the book of Daniel, so it's much easier to get through these chapters, but let's read in verse 7 to, to verse 10 of Jonah 2. Jonah continues the prayer and says this, While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now, talking about these, this last four verses, this passage here, many people reading this passage by itself are led to believe that at this point in Jonah's experience, there's a turning point in the life of Jonah. That's how it's often taught, or at least commonly taught. And, and, and there is some truth to that. After this experience, when Jonah is vomited onto the dry land, uh, he does finally submit to God's call on his life and fulfills his ministry to the people of Nineveh. That is true. He does do that. However, there are details in this prayer that do not really fit Jonah personally or even the rest of the book. Uh, one of the prime examples, well, I'll give you one small one. One small one, he references the temple, that I will look towards the temple, that my prayers have come to you in the holy temple. Well, if you remember from the very first week when we talked about the introduction, at the time that Jonah was living, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and Jonah was from the northern kingdom. And in that northern kingdom, the holy temple in Jerusalem was not part of that northern kingdom. And so typically, unless you lived in the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was located, most northern Isra Israelis at this point, or Israelites, they were not traveling to the temple. They didn't really even have much concern for the temple. And so it's a little bit strange that Jonah would be referencing the holy temple so prominently. But even more of a problem than that, 
That's maybe a smaller kind of inconsistency, but maybe you could explain that one away. But one that you can't explain away is his reference to having a heart of thankfulness, where he says that he will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. And the reason that this is inconsistent is because Jonah, his heart did not change to a heart of thanksgiving at this point. And as we're going to see later in chapter 3 and chapter 4, although Jonah submits to his call to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites, the, the Gentiles that are living in that city, he doesn't really do it with a heart of thankfulness. He's still reluctant. He's still bittered. And by the end of the book, not only has he done his ministry reluctantly and bitterly, but he even becomes angry toward God when Nineveh repents and escapes God's judgment. And so if you follow the rest of the book, Jonah does not change at this point. Yeah, he begrudgingly, he, you know, he goes, but his heart, his attitude is still the same. He's still reluctant. He's still senseless. And we're going to see that in chapter 3 and especially chapter 4. So the bottom line, though, if this is inconsistent with Jonah's character, even as it's portrayed in the rest of the book, then what's going on here? Why, why is he praying like this? Where, where did these details then come from? And we see there's many. He's not in the underworld. He doesn't have a heart of thankfulness and praise toward God. So what's going on? Is he exaggerating? Or is there something more going on with his experience in the belly of the great fish? Well, let me tell you, there is something more going on here. And what I want to do for our remainder, remaining time is I want to show you the more. I want to show you the more that is going on in this chapter of Jonah. And to do this, I want to take you back to Matthew 12 or forward to Matthew 12 in the New Testament, back to the passage we read before, but this time I'm going to start reading in verse 38, just to set a little bit more context. So Matthew 12, starting in verse 38, again, Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees who are not fans of Jesus, are not believers in Jesus, and this is how it reads. Verse 38, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. In other words, we want to see, prove it to us that you are really the Messiah, even though he's done hundreds of miracles and things that only God himself can do, they still don't believe. Well, verse 39, but he, Jesus, answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, this title, Son of Man, if you're not familiar with it, this is Jesus' favorite title for himself in the gospel. It goes back to Daniel, which we studied prior to Jonah. And so he's referring to himself here. And so what he's basically saying is in the same way that Jonah was in the belly for three days and three nights, I, the Son of Man, am going, into, going to be into, in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So he is effectively, Jesus that is, is linking himself to Jonah. 
he's linking himself into Jonah. But there's also something to point out here. Notice that he does not say that he will be in a tomb for three days and three nights. Now, his body was in a tomb for three days and three nights after his crucifixion, but notice here, he doesn't say that. He says the heart of the earth or the depths of the earth. Does that sound familiar to Jonah's prayer? It should. It should. Because it is a reference to the underworld. It is a reference to Sheol. There's another passage that alludes to this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. Here the Spirit is speaking through the Apostle Paul. And I'm kind of jumping into this passage in the middle of it, so it's going to be a little bit rough starting in terms of not having as much context. But I'll highlight what I want you to see in this. So Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 9 The Spirit through Paul says this, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then he continues, and he says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? And basically what the Spirit through Paul is indicating consistent with what Jesus was indicating is that when Jesus died and his body was put into the tomb for three days and three nights, his body was there in the tomb, but his soul, his spirit actually descended into the underworld. And later on in the letters of Peter, he actually alludes to the fact that Jesus preached the gospel to some of the departed spirits who were in the underworld, including some of the fallen angels that were in the underworld. So bottom line, Jesus literally descended into the underworld. He was in the heart of the earth, the depths of Sheol. He was there. And so there's this interesting and very clear connection, not just in the fact that you have three days and three nights, but that Jesus literally was in the place that is referenced in Jonah's prayer. Now, there's another interesting thing to point out, an important connection. Not only is there this connection with Jesus being in the underworld, but Jesus, he was confident that he would not remain in the underworld. He knew that he would not remain there forever. He had confidence that God would deliver him. And and as a result of this confidence, Jesus had a glad and thankful heart in the midst of his suffering and distress. I want to take you to another New Testament passage in Acts 2. And here we're going to see some echoes. So Acts 2, starting in verse 24 to verse 33, this is now the Apostle Peter and the Spirit speaking through the Apostle Peter. And he says this relating to Christ, verse 24 of Acts 2, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. You think, what's the agony of death? If you're dead, you don't feel, right? Well, if you're in the underworld, there is some distress that's associated with that. But it was impossible for him to be held in the power of death. Verse 25, For David, that is King David, says of him, 
says of him, Jesus, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may say confidently to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, his bones are still here. He did suffer decay. And so then he says, and so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Now, what's really important about this passage, according to what Peter is doing here, and really the Spirit through Peter, is he is saying that David was not speaking about himself. He says that. In the psalm that he is quoting, he's quoting from Psalm 16, it says, the speaker of the psalm says, you're not going to abandon me to Sheol. You're not even going to let my body suffer decay. You're not going to let my body decompose. Well, after three days your body starts to decompose. If you think of Lazarus when he was resurrected from, from the dead, Jesus waited to the fourth day. Why? Why? So that the decay had already started. And that's what they say. Really? You want us to open up the tomb? Like it's already, it's going to stink. Or as the, the authorized version says, it stinketh. You know, so there's, there's decay. So after day three, the body starts to decay. Well, David He was in the tomb longer than three days. In fact, even to the point of the New Testament, his body was still in that tomb as well as his bones, well, his bones being his body. So he had decayed. And therefore, Peter says, this isn't about David. This is not him speaking. Even though he wrote the psalm, even though he said the words, this isn't about him. Instead, as a prophet, knowing that God had promised to seat the Messiah on his throne, he looked forward and spoke of Jesus and his resurrection. In other words, the one speaking in this psalm that Peter is quoting is Jesus. And as we see, Jesus has a heart that was glad. He has a tongue that that exalted the Lord. He had hope all the while he was experiencing death and time in the underworld. So, The significance of all this, what is the significance? How does this relate to Jonah's experience in the belly of the great fish? Well, I would say this, I would say this. Jonah's experience in the belly of the great fish was an an experience that foreshadowed and symbolized the literal experience of the Messiah, who would literally spend three days and three nights in the underworld and who would remain thankful and hopeful toward God through it all. His experience was a foreshadowing. It was pointing forward. It was symbolizing the future experience of the Messiah. Furthermore, I would even say that the prayer that Jonah is praying is really a prayer of the Messiah. 
It's a prayer of Jesus that the Spirit of God gave Jonah in this moment, literally overtaking him and causing him to pray the future words of Jesus. And if you might think, really, does the Spirit of God do that? Does he occasionally overtake a prophet, maybe even a a stubborn and rebellious prophet, and cause him to say the words of the Messiah? Well, yes, it does happen. As we just read, according to Peter, in the passage that we covered in Acts, the Spirit did it with David, speaking through David the words of the Messiah. And there's also other examples, such as the prophet Balaam, who was a greedy prophet all the way back in the book of Numbers. For the sake of time, we won't go through that passage. But Balaam, he was a greedy, wicked prophet that did not want to bless Israel. And yet he saw Israel and it says that the Spirit of God overtook him and he then begins a praise and blessing, a prophetic blessing on Israel against his will. Well, the Spirit was speaking through him. So it's very possible and likely that the Spirit of God is doing the same thing with Jonah, doing the same thing with Jonah. So to summarize with the significance, the, the, the more that is going on, again, Jonah's experience in the belly of the whale and this prayer foreshadows the experience and the prayers of Jesus, who would be a far greater and more faithful person than Jonah. Or we could say it another way that Jonah's time in the belly was the belly of the fish was designed by God to link the ministry and experience of Jonah with the future ministry and experience of Jesus Christ. You are meant to draw a connection. And it's not just with his experience in the underworld, but also with his resurrection and ministry to the world through his disciples. I want to show you one more fascinating connection to this prayer and really to Jonah himself. And to do that, I'm going to take you to Matthew 16. This will be the last passage that we look at tonight. Matthew 16, and I'm going to go through verses 17 to 21. And like I said, we're going to be a few minutes over. We started late, but this is very important to see and I think will be very impactful as we work through this. So Matthew 16, starting in verse 17. It says, and Jesus said to him, this is to Peter, he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah. Now, Bar is son in Aramaic. And so that's the language they were speaking at that time. And so he's saying that you are Simon, son of Jonah. Now, what's interesting about this, if you go to John's gospel, we're not going to go there. Peter's dad was not actually named Jonah. Peter's dad was named John. And so Jesus here is not referencing his actual father. What he's doing is he is now linking Peter with Jonah by calling him son of Jonah. And he continues, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, that is the fact that he was the Messiah, but my father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. That sounds familiar, right, to the prayer of Jonah. Then he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he goes on to talk about how he will be killed and raised up 
on the third day. Several points of connection. A few interesting things about Peter. If you study the person of Peter, you find out, one, he is actually from the same region that Jonah is from, from the region of Galilee. They're from the same area. Also, Peter is a fisherman by trade. He's a fisherman by trade. Another point is Peter was the apostle that God used to bring the first Gentile converts into the church. And that, that would be Cornelius and those in his household in Acts chapter 10. Another interesting thing, if you go there to Acts, we won't, but when Peter was commissioned to go to the first Gentile converts, he was in the city of Joppa, which is the city that Jonah boarded the ship. And so not only did Jesus link Peter with Jonah, but Peter actually followed the footsteps of Jonah in many ways. So these are, there, there's a connection, undeniable connection between Jonah and Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, and also with the ministry of Jesus' disciples. Now, here's what I want to conclude with tonight. If there's one thing that I want you to learn, it is that Jonah's experience in the belly of the great fish is more, it's about more than Jonah. He's not really the center of the story. In fact, Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of the large fish, again, serves to link the experience and ministry of Jonah with the experience and ministry of Jesus Christ and his disciples. And this link sets up a pattern that God would use to bring salvation to the world. And you don't want to miss this pattern. What do I mean by that? Well, Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly, it equates to Christ, Jesus's three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the underworld. Jonah's emerging from the fish when he was vomited up equates to Jesus's resurrection. And then when Jonah continues and goes on to Nineveh to preach the message to Nineveh, that equates to the message of salvation that reaches the nations. And so we see this pattern that is being established here, that you first have death, burial, resurrection, and then salvation going to the nations. And let me end with one more thing. There is one major, despite the similarities and the links, there is one major difference between Jonah and Jesus Christ. And that is this, Jonah deserved to be in the belly of the fish. He was senseless. He was rebellious. He deserved to be there. In fact, we too, having been senseless and rebellious like Jonah, we deserve to be in a similar situation. Jesus, on the other hand, he does not deserve, he did not deserve to be in the underworld or to even die. And yet he chose to do so. He chose to follow that path so that he would bring salvation to the world, which includes all of us. And the good news is that Jesus did rise from the underworld. He did rise from the grave. And the opportunity for, for salvation has reached the nations. And so now the only question that remains is whether we, the, 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 those who are reading and studying this book, 
the, the question that remains is whether we will all respond in the way that the Ninevites will respond in Jonah chapter 3. And so next week, as we look at Jonah chapter 3, we're going to see that response. And the question is, will we respond in the same way? Well, let us pray, and then we will be dismissed. Lord God, uh, we are so grateful for this evening and the ability to sing songs of praise to you, to uh, be here together amongst friends and, and uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. We're thankful for the opportunity to study your word and, and just the depth and all of the intricacies of your word, Lord. Um, it, it's a privilege. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you help us apply these truths to our li- lives. I, I do pray that we would respond like the Ninevites will respond as we go through Jonah chapter 3, and that you will help us have faith and trust and hope in you. Lord, I pray for these students in this last week of summer as they gear up for school, that you would be with them, that you would encourage them and help them get ready for this next year. I pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.